0: Hey, it's great to have Ted back from surgery, playing dramas with us. Great to have Brooke on percussion. Yeah, it's it's a good word. Thank you. (laughs) Laurel on flute. I love your Christmas sweaters. The Grinch came to to church today. I love to laugh. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about the light of the world being Jesus. Now, there's many jokes about changing a light bulb. Maybe you've heard a few of them. This is for Amir. Um, How many uh, chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but it may take six visits. <laughs> you like that, mirror? This is for Dan. Uh, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb might not want to be changed. <laughs> how many Apple presidents does it take to change a light bulb? That's proprietary information. You can only acquire that from Apple if you're willing to pay a license fee. Old <laughs> joke. How many pessimists to change a light bulb? Well, what does it matter? It will just go out anyway. <laughs> should I keep my real job (laughs) the Bible begins with the first command in scripture namely let there be light every city light every tree light every light of the church reminds us that Jesus is the light God didn't say let there be mountains and valleys he said let there be light the world is dark it is illumined by light I sometimes say, walking into a darkened room, maybe you say the same thing, it's pretty dark in here, would you like some light? And then when I hit the switch, I say, let there be light. I was chatting with a woman recently, and her mom was in surgery as we spoke, her mother-in-law was in the hospital, her aunt was having health problems, and she was going to let her light shine by going home and making some soup. You know, sometimes nothing says love like a bowl of chicken noodle soup. Being there when people need you is what making your light shine is. Your loved ones can rely upon you in their darkest days. You can speak light into the world. God has the power to make dark places light. Recently, uh, last Saturday, an F3 tornado struck Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, Thirty homes in my son Jimmy's neighborhood were structurally damaged. Three of his soldiers under his command their homes were totally destroyed. For them, it was Christmas time. Can you imagine? Literal and metaphorical darkness. Their homes are obliterated. They're still reeling from the loss. But in the darkness, we can show love to people whose lives became shattered. Jimmy's lights came back on this week. But you know, the light is inside of us. God said, let there be light. So when God turns on the light, he begins to go to work. God says, let there be light, and his power becomes manifested. God creates and fills the earth. How many times have you said, have I said, I just need some light? This morning I was trying to put my key into the, into the um, door, and it was dark. I just needed some light. And so I said, Siri, turn on the flashlight. And there came light. God created man to live in a beautiful world. There was plenty of light in the beginning. There was the presence of God, pure light. And then on the fourth day, God created the sun to rule the day, the moon to shine by night. But even in their wilderness wanderings, God gave them a pillar of cloud, the Shekinah glory, to get them light. He gave them a pillar of fire at night, Shekinah. It was illumined. But man walked away from the light. Adam and Eve listened to the serpent They believed there was something good outside of God's will that God had provided. They partook of the forbidden fruit, and they stepped into darkness. They hid themselves from God. They sowed for themselves fig leaves to hide themselves. And God asked, where are you? What have you done? And Adam took it like a man, and he blamed his wife, this woman you gave me, Lord. When they walked away from the light, it wasn't as if they ceased to exist. They still had physical life but now they dealt with guilt and shame, regret. They experienced spiritual darkness and inner darkness. It's here where my story connects with the Bible, because I grew up in a world of spiritual darkness, maybe you too. I did not grow up in the light. There were many family secrets we didn't talk about, the foremost of which was my father's drinking. My father had decorated Navy officer whose ship shot at Japanese, leaving Pearl Harbor, a line officer on a destroyer, having liberated many islands in the Pacific, drank himself into oblivion every night. We just didn't talk about it. Nobody was to know it was our secret, something we kept in the dark. I wondered growing up why. Why would my dad, who I believed to be such a great man, would destroy himself, with alcohol. I also wonder why I was destroying myself with alcohol because I was in the very same pattern. And then on the day he died, I was 19 years old, my mother told me that my father not only was a war veteran, but he had a secret. He had been married previously. Apparently he married in 1940 and had a son. He was gone with the war for about six years. In '46 he returned and his wife was with another man. There was the darkness of war, the memories of being at sea, the kamikazes diving into the ships, but there was the darkness of infidelity. My father, rather than talking about the darkness, plunged deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness. And I was on a similar path. You see, without the light we get familiar with the darkness. All we know is darkness. There was a research project years back to study darkness and light, the people in the study were invited into a large room. They were asked to lean against the wall. And then the researchers turned out the light. And the people were, to, were told to walk in a straight line across the room. The room was pitch black. The researchers monitored what happened. So what do you think happened when people tried to walk in the dark? All they had to do was walk across this darkened room straight. But not one person was able to walk straight in the dark. They stumbled in the darkness. They walked around in circles. All of them ventured off the straight path. Think of yourself. It's the middle of the night. There's no night light in your bedroom. Your room darkening shades are down and you're trying to make it to the bathroom. You get yourself out of bed, you try to navigate in the dark, and you stub your toe, and you want to scream, but people are sleeping, and you've stumbled in the darkness. The conclusion of the study is, when we are in the darkness, we think we're walking straight, we think we're making progress, but we're deceived into thinking we're doing better than we are. We cannot live in moral, ethical life without the light of God. We keep making the same old mistakes. So what did God do? God knew there was great darkness on the earth. People without the light stumble. God said, I will counter the darkness... God said, I will bring light back into the world. God's prophets pointed to a day when God's light would be turned on. Isaiah said 700 years before he was born, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in darkness. The, old, the last of the Old Testament prophets, his name was Malachi, said, the son of righteousness will rise like the sun with healing in his wings. 400 years of silence. And finally, the silence broke with John the Baptist, whose father was told, because of God's compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us and shine on those living in darkness. The people living in darkness will see a great light, and people rejoice at the dawn of a new day. Jesus Christ is that light. You say, how dark are, Pastor R, is the darkness of our world. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but mark this. There will be terrible, difficult times in the last days. I feel as if we are, brothers and sisters, in those very last days. I feel as if we need to prepare ourselves for his coming. What will, what will it be like in the last days? It says in sec- the second verse... People will be lovers of themselves. Not lovers of their families, not lovers of their nation, but lovers of themselves. Another word for that is narcissistic. Why are those that go to politics tend to be narcissistic? Because they love themselves, and they love power, and they love influence. It says people will be lovers of money. They won't be content with what they have, They'll always, listen to this for Christmas songs, they'll always sing about what they want for their Christmas present. They will be boastful, proud, abusive. Abuse is using one's power to take advantage. It happens in the darkness. It is an inner darkness. So this is what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light, Of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The story is told just after a woman with great darkness had come into the light, and her accusers also had come into the light. It's a prediction from Isaiah when Isaiah said, I am the Lord to be a covenant for the people, a light to the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind to see to free captives from their prison. Isaiah 49, 6 says, I will make you, the Messiah, a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So let me give you a little background for this verse before we talk about it. This was about six months before Jesus went to the cross. He's in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called Sakat. The Sabbath on October 7th, when the Hamas terrorists came across from Gaza, happened on Sukkot, doing unimaginable tro- atrocities, kidnapping 240 people. Sukkot, Sukkot commemorates the 40 years of wilderness wandering. People would travel to Jerusalem in September or October. They'd make shelters out of the branches of trees. They'd camp out in people's backyards or on the hillside, and they'd celebrate a seven-day feast. And during those 40 years of wandering, God was faithful to provide his people with manna. Manna was something like honey nut Cheerios that God gave them six days a week. He also gave them water from a rock. God was faithful faithful to protect them from their enemies. And from Jewish literature, we know that they would light four large candelabras on the Temple Mount. Long before Disney thought of the illumination, They would illuminate the entire city with these four candelabras. It reminded them of the cloud that moved with Israel, giving them light. It reminded them of the pillar of fire that lit up, illuminated the night sky. When the four candelabras were extinguished at the end of the feast, the city was once again in darkness. It was then that Jesus stood up and he said, I am the light of the world. Not only the light of Jerusalem, not only the light to the Jews, but I am the light of the world. And just as God illuminated his people's way out of Egypt to the promised land, I will illumine your way from the slavery to sin to find the freedom of salvation. I indeed am the greater light. Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of this world, and whoever follows me. You see, there always will be a choice as to whether we will follow Jesus, and when we follow Jesus, we will step into the light, or whether we will be in the darkness and stumble. Jesus is saying, he is the light of the world. And what an impact Christians and Christianity has had upon the world. The prestigious Yale historian Yaloslav Pelikan says, Regardless of what anyone says or thinks or believes, Jesus Christ has been the dominant figure in Western culture for over 20 centuries. Rome was the most powerful, dominant nation in the first century. It was cruel and heartless. There was much darkness in the Roman culture before Christ and Christians. Formal Roman education was reserved only for males of the wealthiest family. You see, when a family was wealthy, they could afford a tutor. And so the males were only educated. But when Jesus came, you remember, he came to the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and there was Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. Thus, Christians taught men and women, rich and poor, slave and free, how to read. Christians put a high value on literacy to be able to read. And listen to this. Christians came up with what was known as the New England Primer. The New England Primer was written by Christians. Listen how they educated their young. In Adam's fall, we send all. Is that something being heard in our schools today? The life to mend this book... Referring to the Bible, attend. As runs the glass, this life shall pass. My book and heart shall never part. The lion bold and the lamb doth hold. The moon shines bright in the time of night. This is what Christians wrote. And taught their children in the 1700s, the 1800s, the 1900s. They were bringing light into the darkness because Jesus is the light of the world. Christ's followers would find abandoned children and they would bring them into their homes and raise them. Hospitals were started by Christians to alleviate suffering. The Red Cross was started by Christians to tend to the wounded. Hospice was started by Christians to love on the dying. When Jesus came, there were dark times. Romans believed the world was dark and dangerous. Roman men brought their sons to the Colosseum to watch the gladiators fight. Trained warriors decimating the enemies. Christians believed that these violent acts were wrong. Christianity would espouse the sanctity of life, the value of every human life, and the influence of Christianity on Roman culture was to outlaw the common practices of abortion, infanticide, and gladiator games. Christians would boycott the gladiator games, believing it was barbarian. At the time of Christ, slaves composed about 75% of Athens, about 50% of the Roman Empire. Kings and priests and philosophers all approved of slavery. Muslims, you know, practice slavery since the inception of Islam. The false prophet Muhammad bought and sold slaves throughout his life, selling his black slaves for half the value of an Arab slave. Slave continues in many Arab countries. But the Bible teaches us that people are not to be bought and not to be sold. People are to be loved and valued. As Christians walked out their faith, they concluded that slavery was wrong. And committed Christians like William Wilberforce, Abraham Lincoln, worked to abolish slavery. Jesus said, I am the light of this world. You see, this is a parallel to what God revealed himself to Moses when he asked, What shall I say your name is? Say I am that I am. When Jesus said I am, he was making a claim to divinity that indeed he is God and his mission was to bring light into the world. Now, light is energy, as you know, right? Light is a form of energy, and light moves before us in waves. The light of a shorter wavelength has more energy. The light of a longer wavelength has less. The colors we see in the world are wavelengths. The spread of light is called a spectrum. Light with a shorter wavelength, like UV light, It's not visible to human eyes. And that's why we need to put sunscreen on, because we cannot see the UV light that emanates from the sun. So the first mention of light is Genesis. The last mention of light is Revelation, which says the people will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord himself will give us light. So he is the light of the world, but then he kind of flips the script and says... In Matthew, you are the light of the world. Look at this amazing text in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. It says this. You are the salt of this earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of this world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your God in heaven. You are, first of all, the salt of the earth, Today we take salt for granted, don't we? There's a salt shaker on every table. We say, just take it with a grain of salt. But in the ancient world, salt was rare and precious and pure. Part of the Romans' pay, the soldiers' pay, was salt. The Latin term, salarium, is where we get the word salary. We would say of a Roman soldier who didn't do his job well, he's not worth his salary salt. When da Vinci painted The Last Supper, do you know how he depicted Judas? As knocking over a salt shaker. Salt stands for purity. Judas was in the dark. Judas was collaborating with darkness. And so he knocked over a salt shaker. Salt does two things. It preserves. It keeps things from rotting. The Roman soldiers preserved their meat with salt. And salt does something else. It improves flavor. Things taste better with salt, don't they? Now, what's ironic is I can't eat salt. I'm supposed not to eat salt. So if anything's salty, I can say this has lots of salt in it. But did you know there's a place in Virginia called Salt Mine, Saltville, Virginia? During the Civil War, Union forces attacked this salt mine. Why would the Union attack a Confederate salt mine? Salt was used to preserve the meat. You ever wonder where that Virginia hand comes from? They salted heavily, right? And salt was used to cure leather, the boots. So they couldn't cure meat and they couldn't cure their leather without salt. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor to life you bring light to a decadent culture you bring honesty to a culture of lying you see salt has the power to preserve think of these guys these fishermen jesus said follow me right these fishermen now the fishermen would go to the sea of galilee and they would catch fish but their fish were normally sold out in jerusalem There was no refrigeration in the day. So they had to salt their fish to take it down to Jerusalem to sell it. And what Jesus is saying is, just as you put salt on the fish, you fishermen, so you are the salt of the earth that stops the rot of the culture. And you, brothers and sisters, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. The light of Christians must be seen in the city. I mean, light can be extremely beneficial to a city. Think about for a moment New York City with its 8.5 million person population. New York City uses 1 billion gallons of water every day. Their water comes from Westchester County. Do you know how they take impure water and make it pure for New York City? They put it through 56 UV lights. The light of the UV kills the germs and viruses, the pathogens, the microorganisms. New York has some of the purest water in the world because of light. And that's why their bagels are so good. (laughs) Jesus likens us to light. You are the light of this world. The world is dark. The world is evil. The world is corrupted. You need to turn on the light. And if you have a three-way, you need to crank that baby up and let your light shine. This last Friday, Camden Haynes and his cast brought light into our lives. A production of the Irving Berlin's White Christmas with singing and dancing and light, hearted humor. I wondered, as I saw the play, how our culture has changed in just 75 years. We laughed when Camden and his partner sang about the woman's part with their feathers, about God help the mister that gets between me and my sister. We all laughed. It was funny. These guys were playing this part. But in today's culture, you aren't supposed to laugh when a man dresses like a woman when a man wants to be a woman, when a man identifies as being a woman, when a man tells you his pronouns, when a man competes in women's sports, I thought in just 75 years, how has the culture changed? What kind of light are you? Maybe you have the gift of interior design. You grew up like my daughter, kind of rearranging her room. Every time I'd walk into her room, her room would look different. You can take a room, and you can envision what that room could be. You see where the sofa, the chairs go in that living room. You know about fabric and colors to choose from. You can turn a room into a beautiful space. You can turn a house into a home. That is your gift. And that is how you turn... Light, turn darkness into light. Maybe your light is more like an oven light. (laughs) You don't need to be seen or heard all the time. You don't need to be the center of attention. You stay inside your oven, but when you're on, things are heating up. You like to serve in the kitchen, the hidden places. You set tables. You put out tables for Operation Christmas Child. This year, 11 million little packages will be delivered. Light to the darkness. We need your oven light in the kingdom. You have a light like no other because you can take temperatures up to 500 degrees. (laughs) You're an oven light. (laughs) Maybe your light isn't hidden like an oven light, maybe your light is more like a chandelier. Maybe you've been called to a high profile. Maybe you're a politician. Maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a voice on the school board. Maybe you're a leader of an organization like CareNet. Maybe you're the chief medical officer. You have influence, influence, to rewrite the laws of our land. You can give voice to the voiceless. You can attempt to bring justice to our world. God has called you to shine your light. So let your light shine. I'm running out of lights. Maybe you're a high-energy lamp. Like my grandson, William. He says, when God made me, he gave me lots of energy. You have one speed. You know, there's five speeds on on a stick. You're in fifth gear all the time. You drive a yellow Ford Mustang with loudspeakers and chrome wheels. But you fall asleep at Bible study. You're wide awake when it's time to move, and we're glad when you make your light to shine. Maybe you're a high-energy lamp. You're more than a flashlight. You see, a flashlight isn't attached to a certain city or house or nation. You shine your light to every human being. Do you know, in America right now, we need some light. We need some people to step into the light. You are the light. You bring light into that situation. You bring light into that home. You bring light into that workplace. Maybe you're God's prophetic light in these end times. Your light is so bright it's uncomfortable. Your light spots sin from a distance. It calls people it awakens them from their sleep. You're so prophetic, you keep quoting Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Sometimes you need to add a little grace to all that stuff you preach. But praise God for your prophetic light. Jesus said, you are the light. We don't put the light under a bushel. We put the light in a prominent place for all to see it. So let your light shine. Let your light shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus this enormous display of light whatever situation Jesus stepped into he brought the very light of God Jesus is the life and his life is the light of men and the light shines in the darkest places and the darkness will never ever ever overcome it darkness is simply the absence of light And you have called us, Lord, to be light, light in our workplaces, light to our customers, our clients, light in our schools, light in our homes, and maybe that's the first place it begins. Let your light so shine in your very own family, in the context of relationship, to be a good influence on those around us, a sanctifying influence. We were once darkness, but now we are light. And we're called to be the light to this world. Father, help us to step into this role of shining brightly to a very, very, very dark culture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one last song. We invite you to stand with us to sing. There's always people to pray. Maybe something you carried with you to church. You just need to lay at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you're living in a dark world too, like I am, and you need to pray about the situation you need to deal with. You need some prayer. So take advantage of this. These are people who would love to pray with you. An who was an Anglican who I love very, very much, now in heaven, he wrote these words. If the house is dark at night, <laughs> there's no sense in blaming the house. That's what happened when the sun goes down. The question is, where's the light? If the meat goes bad, (laughs) there's no sense in blaming the meat. This is what happened, by the way, when the lights went out for Jimmy and Chris, the meat went bad. That's what happened when bacteria breeds unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the salt? If society becomes corrupt, like a dark night or a stinking fish. Don't blame society. That's what happens when human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where's the church? Where's the church? We're the light of this world. We're meant to have global impact, to let our light shine. But church, we have put our light under a basket. We've not put it on a city where it can be seen. We need to let our light shine. And when our light shines, everything becomes different because light always dissipates darkness. Light always wins over darkness. All you've got to do is just flip on the light. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we give you great glory, and we adore your Son who is the light of this world. Show us this week, Lord, how we can be light in the midst of the darkness of this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.